Welcome to TinkerPod. This is Bradford Harris, and this is a show where I focus on some of my favorite topics such as educational technology, motivation, self-care, and of course my favorite, gaming and esports. Today's topic is esports in school. Why is this important? Why gaming in schools? And where and how do I get started? I and the panelists in this episode hope to educate listeners on the purpose of esports and what to think about when starting this in your district or campus. I have an amazing panel with me. Actually, the, the people who are on this panel right now are very influential in helping me get esports started in my school district. So let me just have everyone introduce themselves. Kevin Brown, esports program specialist with the Orange County, California Department of Education and also one of the officers of NASAF, North American Scholastic Esports Federation. I'm Carrie Linden. I'm also known as Chuck Muju. I am the director for gaming for education in Progressive Learning Academy in Santa Barbara. I'm a streamer and parent of a competitive gamer. I am Topher James. I am the head broadcast coordinator at a startup company called Uptime Esports located in Hanover, Massachusetts. I'm James O'Hagan. I'm the director of digital and virtual learning for the Racine Unified School District and I'm the esports czar. And I'm also the host of the Academy of Esports podcast. Uh, my name is Steve Isaacs. I teach game design and development at William Madden Middle School and Ridge High School. I started our game club and esports program at the middle school. And last year, we uh, also started one at our high school, which is its second year. I feel kind of responsible for the esports EDU community and Discord server and am also the director of learning for Liminal Esports, a research uh, organization in the esports sector. Last but not least, Jay. Hi, I'm a teacher at Hathaway Brown School in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I teach computer science and game design and founded the first ever esports team at an all-girls school. I am also the CEO of Liminal Esports. This is amazing. We have a lot of people, a lot of diverse uh, panelists here from all over the country. So, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who don't know, I am a lead trainer for the Digital Learning Specialist, and every year we have a technology conference, and it's actually the, one of the largest in the state, free. And this year I have been tasked to really just dive into esports for the district and really introduce what esports is in, in my area in Houston. Why esports? Why esports in school? We're at a point where there are some teachers, there are some admin, principals, whoever that are looking at gaming as, okay, we need to figure out with our IT department how to take gaming out of schools. But now you're saying <laughs> bring esports in. So why esports and why esports in school? It's meeting kids where they're at. You go into a classroom, you're a teacher. I, I think it's pretty safe to say that at least 75% of your students are gamers to some degree, whether they're playing on a mobile device, they're playing on a console, or they've already kind of upgraded to a PC. It's what our kids are doing in their free time. They're gaming. They might not be competitively gaming, but they're still gaming. And I, I think it can be a great equalizer. You know, this is something that they all do. They do it for fun. So there's a natural enjoyment to it. But if you add sort of the the esport component to it, you can reach a lot of kids that might necessarily 
not necessarily be reached by traditional sports and you're bringing them into that sort of athletic environment where you're you're doing things like explicitly teaching cooperation communication teamwork uh, how to handle loss i mean that's a huge mm-hmm. thing that more and more people especially in the gaming industry really really need to learn um, and how to build and learn from loss so you've got that resiliency that they're getting to sort of experience and build uh, and you're doing it with something that they're automatically most of them are, are, are buying into, you know, if, with gaming, you can usually hit the majority of your classroom with just a couple titles. And I think that's, that's something that's really cool. It's, it's an opportunity that we don't often get, and it's a great way to meet them where they already are. Another thing I'd like to add too, just about the, you know, we get the why and, and all this, I think we have a unique opportunity here to support kids in the world that's so important to them in a way that otherwise we're sending them home kind of to do on their own unsupervised. We have a lot of issues in competitive gaming and esports that we can help to model appropriate conduct, digital citizenship, a big issue about toxicity in games. And I think in the school environment, we have the environment, we have the opportunity to really kind of guide kids, you know, and help them navigate that space and coach them in a way that they're gonna then hopefully carry home with them rather than the flip side of that, which is to avoid all of that for fear of any kind of liabilities. We'd rather kind of not be on our watch kind of thing. I'd rather support kids in that situation. And and this is James O'Hagan, Racine Unified. So our, our purpose for why we're doing it is five reasons. We want to redefine athletic culture. We want to diversify opportunities for student participation. We want to promote good mental and physical health. We want to increase collegiate scholarship pathways. And the last one is probably the most important. You know, Bradford, you kind of said we're taking gaming out of schools. Well, guess what? It never really left. It's just it went underground for a long time. You're right. Um, but but we, what we're doing, again, is we're honoring the importance of play. We had No Child Left Behind hit in 2001. Mm-hmm. And after No Child Left Behind, we all freaked out. And we all started doing high-stakes testing. And playgrounds became very in very varied states of disrepair. Uh, recess was cut down to 10, 15 minutes of unstructured play for kids. And so in the last 18 years, we've had an entire generation of kids grow up in schools who have gone from from kindergarten all the way through who have never really had a, an opportunity to have a deep play experience. And so what we're getting back to is saying the medium has changed, but the play is just as important. And, and we're trying to say, let's let's give these kids a safe playground in which to play and and build rules and teach us because guess what we don't know the games as well as the kids do well Topher does I mean he's he's got the Rocket League down he knows, every, he knows all of it he knows all of right. it right right so for a lot of us we don't know the games but we're saying we're still going to help you uh, build a really good safe space and, and honor that importance of what play is this is Jay I'm going to plus one everything that everyone else has already said very articulately and then add on a little story, which is that, you know, I had a ninth grader last year at my school who came in and I think really found her friend group through esports. Started coming by after school and during our lunch periods and, and playing and being loud and being excited teenager, a teenager who was excited to be at school. And over the summer, our esports team went dormant and I saw her go from that to sitting in a corner or in a hallway, studying by herself, playing games by herself. And then uh, now that the school year has started up again, she's right back in the room with her friends again, right? This is more to her than just games. This is 
her experience with high school. And I think that has a lot of meaning to it. I think what we're saying here, if I were to sum it up, it's we're changing a culture. So I sit in front of parents, I sit in front of educators, administrators in school districts, school boards, and there's a lot of blame that wants to be laid. You are pushing an addiction on kids. You're letting them by putting esports in the classroom, you're fostering an addiction. Actual words out of board members. Yeah. And so, but before I could say anything, another board member said, whoa, that's not his problem. That's not the game dev's problem. That's a parenting problem. But I look at it this way. What we're all doing in all of our different ways and what's coming together in this culture we're building is just that. Everybody's laid all these horrible things at the feet of eSports. You're making my kids fat. They don't want to do anything. They're thumb monkeys. They don't want to talk. It's only Asian boys. You don't let girls. Okay, maybe that was a stereotype. Now, all of us, what we're all doing in our different ways and coming together is changing that culture, reaching down from high school, coming down into middle schools more and more so, even maybe dipping a toe into elementary schools and beginning to shape those digital citizens. Like Steve said, we're growing them better earlier. We're changing that model so they're not that stereotype that dinosaurs like me and others think that that's what gamers are. They're giving us an opportunity now. We're all being able to show that so much more that we can do. It's not just thumb wrestling over a controller. There's so many positives come out of this. One of the things that I, I forgot, I don't know if it was Steve or I, f- I forget who just said it, but really in reality, we all game. And what is the definition of gaming? I know I've been looking at what Steve has been doing and we all been doing, but I really been having, having my eye on Steve in his classroom. It's not all about computers. He has a set of board games to get them, to get kids started, to understand what the definition of really gaming is. And I, I don't know your whole curriculum yet, which I want to actually side talk <laughs> to you about later on. But everybody games in some capacity. I mean, even let's just be honest, even if we're in a faculty meeting, I've seen it. All of us are presenters. I've seen people <laughs> pull out their phones and they're playing Candy Crush. They have their phones <laughs> on silent. They're playing, I don't know, Una or whatever it is. They're playing something that's really small and that's from Facebook. And when we try to put gaming in this box where a fat white dude playing in a room for like 8, 12, 24 hours a day, that's completely false. It, it, there is a connection to it. You can bring curriculum into it. it. It's not all violent. And that's what educators and our parents need to understand. Let us educate you on what this really is and what this ph- phenomena is. People are raising their eyebrows now. I mean, l- let me, let's just put it out there. We have a kid that won, what, two, three million dollars for uh, is it is it three? Everybody keeps telling me two because <laughs> after taxes. Three. Uh, <laughs> uh, but seventeen bucks after taxes. Right. <laughs> but you have you have the dad you have the dad sitting here dancing. I know why he's dancing. It's because hey, his career, at least his school career, is set. He doesn't have to pay for anything if the child decides to go to college. So now all of a sudden you're seeing these sessions pop up and people are starting to go, okay, maybe there is something to this. Maybe it doesn't necessarily make a kid fat lazy. Maybe we can add this to the curriculum. I don't know if it took a, a kid and a dad dancing because his child won $3 million to have people start thinking about, hey, let's sit down and have a conversation or what, but it's there. It's the reality. And I think I think Fortnite World Cup was the first time for a lot of parents and just a lot of adults in general that aren't connected to the gaming industry that really saw 
there being opportunity for kids. I mean, esports is there and everybody kind of knows it, but if most people know of esports, they know of like Overwatch and League of Legends. They're mostly adults. Occasionally you get somebody who underage who signed, but people don't really hear about that unless you're already in the industry where Fortnite kind of hit, everybody's kids watch it or play it. And so all of a sudden it was like, wow, how many kids are underage that are here? I mean, they, they lowered the competition age back down to 13 because their player base is is really young and there's a lot of kids that are contenders and you know i think it was just the first really big taste for the nation and the world to really see how big of an impact it really is having on the youth of especially our country so it was kind of an eye-opener for people it i mean it's been stuff that we've all been talking about but for parents it's like really this really exists it's like well yeah that's why i teach what i teach and how and how funny because out there how funny because my son is kind of nonchalant about he he he's a junior in high school he 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 doesn't care for fortnite but when i told when i told him about it he was like okay but he was saying okay like not not that he didn't like fortnite he doesn't but he was saying okay that's great because this is his world this is what he's yeah. used to. So for me, as a 40-year-old guy, I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is awesome. But for him, it's just, okay, this is just another – this is just a Monday for him. This is this is right. what I'm used to seeing anyway. But it took me stepping into his world to understand that this is, this is what this new norm is. This is what – when I hear him in the room kind of chatting and talking with his friends and creating animation stuff and doing all these things – He's been doing this for years. He yeah. did, he never had to explain it to me. I was just listening to what he was doing, but there was nothing that he needed to justify to me. So for him winning the money, I was like, oh, I was telling him like, you know, Patrick, don't you think that this is amazing? This is awesome. He's like, oh, well, oh, okay. But it's just like, for him, it was just normal. Like anybody from the NFL winning the Super Bowl, that's just his new norm. And so now we're trying to f- figure out, okay, how can we fit this into our culture now? It, we, how can we support what these kids are doing? Well, I think we have to be careful about fitting it into our culture because unless it already is your culture, you know, like I've been a gamer my whole life. It's been something I've been immersed in. My kid's been a gamer since he could hold a controller. Um, so, you know, for me, it's really been something I've been steeped in. I think the concern that I have, and I think a lot of other people kind of mirror it, is we're seeing a lot of other people show up and being like, okay, well, now we're going to make it our culture. And they're reboxing it in a way that is really counter to gaming culture at its heart. Um, and I think there's a lot of us that have some pretty heavy concerns as to what the impacts are going to be. And then are you going to lose the kids buy-in when all of a sudden these programs, they're not respectful of gamers because it isn't the gaming culture. It's the, you know, education adult sanitized version of that culture, mm-hmm. which oftentimes Even... has no relation to where it, it actually started. Even worse, it's turnkey. It's, yeah, we're box sell, curriculum. We're gonna, we, and yeah. I call that I call that a quote unquote box of magic. Hey, yeah. I've got this box of magic. Fill in whatever it is. We're gonna kill, cure all your <laughs> school ills. We're gonna take care of your reading. We're gonna take care of your math, and we're just gonna send it out to you. And we'll do a half a day of professional development, and everything's gonna be wonderful. And if that was the case. Jay Collins wouldn't have the program that that uh, they have right. at at, at yeah. the school. Steve wouldn't have the program at their school. Uh, Topher, you wouldn't have had the experience to go where you are right now. Kevin, OC would be you would have the same program in every OC school. It's like mm-hmm. 
that that is what none of this is and that for a lot of people i did a work with a very large organization in chicago that has a lot of satellite campuses and they wanted to have something that could go into every spot and it the project crashed and burned because i kept telling them you can't just take this from this yeah. one air this one suburb and put it into this other area it just can't happen yeah and i agree and especially even with just technology in general, like kids, especially this, especially esports, they're very protective of this. And I think they're very protective of this one really in particular because anything else, like any of the like platform, any tools that I kind of introduce to kids in, in uh, schools, they like it. But some kids will tell you like, what this is way too much. We don't, yep. we don't want you to be a part of this. We, this is our world. Like even like, well, you know, I was going to say, even um, going into, like, say, dare I say it, Twitter or social media, like, kids are very protective of that. And, yes, we do need to monitor what they're doing. But, like, all of a sudden, you're coming into my world. Now you're, effect now you're affecting what I do here. Yes, right. I understand we have to do digital citizenship and all that stuff and be respectful. But, like, where is our space? Where is some somewhere where we can be us? And that's, to me, that's what esports is. This is we as adults are entering their world respectfully and putting it in a box. And I, I can hear one of my bosses say that you can't put, you can't tie esports with making a, a one and done program for it. That's not what this is. You can't put, say, I want to create this schedule of courses and put in, I mean, I guess you can to a degree, but you want to make it as natural for the kids as possible because if you don't, the kids will walk away from it. Why? Because it's it's you trying to fit into their world. Steve here. It, it creates a great opportunity for us because you're absolutely right. We're guests in their world, right? I, I mean, I see that a lot in teaching as well. You know, I think we have an opportunity to bring kids into the process, into every aspect of it. You know, our high school, the esports program is intended to be as close to student-led as it can be. We're there to kind of be advisors or guides or what have you. I know another factor that I think is so interesting right now is that when it comes to coaching, I see in our schools, like we have the football coach is somebody who played football for 30 years up until now and now knows that game well enough to coach. The newer games and all of that, I'm not equipped to coach that. I could help be there to support the kids in the process, but we're in a very different place right now. It, but I think it, it, it allows us to empower kids in a pretty, you know, in an amazing way. And I think that's really crucial. I think that's gotta be a takeaway for everybody. I, I also think we're really fortunate in that the community around esports is growing and everybody's able to share their experiences. You know, a lot of people have fumbled along the way and, and, and we can benefit from that. So it, it's really neat that we can work together, support each other, but also honor, like you said, honor the kids because this is their space. I think one of the hardest things that I had to come through be, being an esports educator was that I was a gamer first. You mentioned playing Rock League earlier. I've been playing Rock League for two and a half years with over 3,000 hours. And I didn't even think about making esports and education a real thing until the community I was involved in had all this tournament structure, had streaming, multimedia, marketing, had all this stuff. And I was in there for like six months. And I'm like, why is this not being taught in the classroom? Especially at the university I was working at. 
And so I'm all excited. I'm talking to my gamer friends, like, what do you want to see in the course? Would this work? Would that work? I'm getting the feedback and I pitch it to the, the administration and they're like, yeah, that's cool. But how do we make it like educational? <laughs> and I'm like, how are you not listening to me? Because it's <laughs> exactly what they want. And this is the skills that they'll develop. And I felt like I was going bad for them for, you know, for the students and the gamers for six months, knowing what I could provide to make sure it was all legitimate. And even when they said, don't do this, do this, I didn't do it, which was my choice, but the students learned, they enjoyed it. They, they were so happy after the 12 weeks. And that was to the point where I was like, esports and competitive video gaming is like y'all say, it's their world. And educators and business owners, as much as they want to just jump on this cash cow that's happening right now, they're not going to understand that. And it's, yeah. you know, that's just how gamers think at this point. This, this is, this is James again. Uh, I, I uh, have been in, in education for over 20 years and most of it, I was a tech director and I went through, I went through three one-to-one -one deployments. And when I say one-to-one -one deployments, I mean, could be a Chromebook, could be a iPad, could be a MacBook. And what a lot of people did with these deployments going back years now, and is, this is where everybody can learn from. <clears throat> this is where history kind of right now is even repeating itself, is one school district did it and they did it really well. They did an iPad deployment or MacBook deployment, it doesn't matter the platform. But then other districts would see what they were doing and then just think it was about the devices. And they would take the devices and they would deploy them into their schools and expect to see these great results. And really their only goal in all these one-to-one -one deployments was we want to get the technology into the hands of the kids. And what they didn't realize was that they would meet their goal on day one. And then there would be nothing else after it. And right now, and, and this is why I love the eSports EDU community, there's some people who are stepping into that space very bravely, who are coming in very eager to learn. And I think learning very quickly, I hope if they're paying attention and they're watching and they're learning, that this is much more than the games. And if you're coming in here and you're just focusing on the games, you're going to make these huge investments in time, effort, and resources, and really not get as much out of it as you potentially can. There is so much more below the surface. And that's why, Kevin, your group, you know, NASEP has done such a really good job, I think, of, of bringing that, that, hey, let's think below the surface here. Let's get past the games. Let's look at the ecosystem as it is as a whole. Mm -hmm. And really, you've got to learn from that one-to-one -one because the, those, those districts that had failed one-to-ones, guess what happened by and large was the technology became resented and yeah. a lot of schools went backwards. I think we're going to see a big push in that as we get so many more schools that are kind of quickly jumping in and their first contact they're getting are the big, I would say, for-profit organizations that are very Fair public. Well. They're getting a very interesting taste of what esports and education can be. And it's it's very narrow. It's very one-sided. It's very, you know, as we said before, sort of boxed. And as soon as I find somebody, I try to route them in through, you know, our Twitter chats and our discords, just trying to get them connected to a bigger group of people, because there's mm. so many of us that are doing something that's completely different from one another. Yeah. But for most of us, that foundation is, is based on creating a, a deep learning experience for the kids. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of people that are new, 
need to find that and they're not necessarily being handed that especially if like you said that one-to-one -one, they don't have anything that's like well this is something that we heard of it it's taking off it's esports we're gonna do it and you're like uh there's gonna be a lot or of people carry, who are lost <laughs> or carry it's worse it's not a hey we're gonna jump into this and now we're gonna try it it's hey this is the organization you have to go with if you're gonna do it in our state worse. guess what you have to use you have to use this one and i think we're going to get there because when you look at all of the data protection and privacy protection issues that exist within having kids access technology in the public school system and just sort of the general top-down need for there to be a set curriculum to attach to anything that's going to be considered academic i think that's what we're going to end up with we're going to end up with a, a few big entities that are going to decide um, what esports is for each particular state, and that's what the public school systems are gonna are gonna buy into. And, and if that ends up being the case, it's gonna be really sad. And James, I don't roll your eyes. <laughs> I mean, I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm no. hoping I'm wrong. <laughs> we have a district here out in California uh, that is very conservative and has worked actively to put pressure on teachers, on principals, on others to shut down. It's like Footloose. The very mention of esports is that there was dancing in this town. And so I come in and I see that what has happened is parents went back to the school board and said, so let me get this straight. You understand that colleges, notable colleges, ones you can read of, like in World News and, you know, what is it, U.S. News and World Report, rates these colleges, these colleges give scholarships based on esports, you're not letting us have an esports club, so you're effectively blocking my kid's chance at a scholarship. Let me hear you say that out loud for the record. Mm -hmm. And then they clamp down, right? Then they, oh my God, we've overstepped our bounds. So there will always be Robin Hood as long as there's a sheriff and a forest. If you make us outlaws, there will be outlaws, sea of thieves all among you. You will enjoy this much. So, um, it'll still find its way it'll just it'll take a different turn i think we're at a very interesting turn of that tide though you've all hit it right on the head there are these four profits out there that are really trying to pound the chest and talk about the war chest they've gathered millions of dollars and they're the experts is, right like the esports experts so we all saw in south by southwest when you ask the expert a very polite question tell me how is it your program bridges equity gives access to kids who normally wouldn't have access to computers how does it bring in girls and let them feel safe the response was i wrote this down i was so furious well girls just know that when we set up a program at a school they just know they can come and it's okay and they play okay jason's screen just just fell <laughs> i just, I just <laughs> dropped my phone the shock was too much <laughs> Yeah, this does not sound like anything academic. So I think here in this virtual room and those who will eventually be listening, there is that academic undertow that is going to really fold the sails on this. It's going to fill it up because that's where it's going to end up living. This is a career, this is a career tech education pathway. This yep. is academic at the, the SNASF, scholastic. There, there has to be this. It's not just this. It's not just thumb monkeys. There's so much more going on. And so we're going to find a way through it. Yeah. And that's why I use yeah. the phrase scholar gamer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that's a good term. I think that's a good term to use because it 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 forces people to reevaluate. I mean, yeah, you've got mathletes. Why not? 
Yeah. Hey. I mean, I remember bringing a, a game developer in um, to talk to my students about, you know, potential career opportunities. Yeah. And, and there were parents are like, well, why are you bringing a, a game dev in? I'm like, well, because that's a legitimate career. Like right. it's mm -hmm. a legitimate field. There's a lot of job openings that exist within game development field. You, why not? I feel like Kevin set up Jay perfectly with the, because uh, Jay, your experience with your girls, uh, when I heard your story, it is, it is really a powerful story about, about choice and voice and equity um, in your environment. Yeah, exactly. I actually, I did want to get into that too, because that's so important, like for me and Y'all know this. This is my platform for, for me, of course, being a person of color. I'm looking at this from a completely different angle because I want to expose my my black and brown children to what this is, and especially the girls, particularly for me in, in my field. When I walk into a classroom, when I walk into a district, people who look like me, uh, the kids, they take a second look because they don't they don't see themselves in the position that I am. Well, who are you? I'm a lead, I'm a lead technology yeah. person. Oh, that's a position. That's a job. What do you do? Oh my God. I see you putting brain pop together. I see you coding. I see you doing all these things. I think I might want to do that. So yeah. now when I have these conversations with these kids, I said, okay, well, what, how do you feel? How do you feel about gaming? And they don't see anybody that's like them. So Kevin, and I know what you're talking about because I sat there with you at South by Southwest and I started asking those hard questions. What do you do for women? What do you do for people who look like me? And they don't have an answer. They have all they have all commercial answers. We're gonna do this, 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 this. But when I stand up and go to the mic, and I remember some people are like looking at looking at me, because I would ask these questions, what are you doing for people like me? I don't see people like me on Twitter. Or in the magazines, how how are how are you serving them? How are you how are you connecting with with them? People like there there are areas where, where people like me, and I want to get to I want to have Jay talk real quick. But there are people like me who honestly can't afford to go and get the PCs. And I'm not just yeah. saying people like me, just anybody that can't go and play these games. But they want into this world, but they don't know how. And I felt like I've I've put I'm set with that challenge of making sure that I want everyone especially people who look like me to, to participate because i would love to see a black and brown kid or or a female win three million dollars when i see that that's when the whole entire how about just see girls at the world cup like exactly exactly like that that killed me. It killed me. Exactly. Jay, I want you to talk about basically your experience in, in diversity and equity at uh, your school and why that is so important, at least from your area. I think where I'm coming from here is that if we do nothing, we will revert to the mean every time. And so if we do nothing, esports will look like games does now if you walk into a GameStop and you see yet another angry white bald man on yet another game cover. <laughs> or when you, you go and you look at a movie poster or you look at the cover of a book and it's just the same picture, right? And I don't want it to be like superhero movies that took 10 years and suddenly there's a bunch of fanfare because we included a woman as a lead or a black person as a lead, right? right. 
Um, if we leave this alone, it will stay on this trajectory and we will see another scholarship fund created for young white affluent men. And I just don't know if that's what we need right now. If we want to make sure that this is equitable, we have to be creating things that don't just speak to national platforms, but really speak on a community level, because guess what? Communities need different things. And we need to be looking at titles that aren't just popular only at a national level, but are popular on community levels. Uh, we need to be asking the people who are outside of the room, what games they play, what they're looking for, what friends they run with, to get them into the room. Not asking the people who are already in the room how to make it an even better experience for them. And that's hard. And it means that we will accept the fans that we have, but we must move beyond them and look for others who are not included in the conversation. And that's the scary part, but we have the responsibility to do that. So, yeah, I think that being intentional and making sure that you're bringing in other voices. And I think the big one is avoiding that sort of token representation of, well, look, yes. we have diversity with yes. our group, but we're only relying on them for very specific things. And the rest of the time we're being tone deaf to, you know, what they're bringing to the table. So there's a lot of intention, I think, that's going to be involved in and really bringing diversity into the industry, which requires a lot of us being stubborn and loud. And, and demanding that that ends up being the case, because all too often it's not. It's really easy to keep everything homogenous. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think many of you saw a very public discussion that I had with somebody on the eSports EDU Discord, where uh, I was pointing out a lack of diversity in an advi it, Well, first of all, the group didn't want an advisory board. And, and then, uh, <laughs> then it came back with, well, do you, we, we'll start an advisory board, do you want to be part of it? And I very clearly replied, no, I don't think we need any more old white men making decisions in esports. Yeah. And so it's, there's, there's, you know, there's organizations popping up every day with the best of intentions. I'm not saying these people are out to, you know, consolidate power, cognitively consolidating power in, in, in traditional, you know, ways that are detrimental to everybody else. But some just are, I guess their their towers are, you know, their blinders are up. They just don't see it. They just don't recognize it. But again, that's a, that's a product of the affluence around gaming culture, mm. and and the product and the and the and the stereotype of gaming culture for so long. So, well, it, it's these these are very hard things that we're trying to yeah. push up against and and break. It's yeah. it's a lot of people too that just are unaware. Like yeah. you know, I I have conversations with males in the industry, and it's like, oh, well, no, let me tell you about you know what's really on the table when it comes to like women in gaming. It's like, okay, so you deal with this every day when you game? Like you this <laughs> yeah. this is the stuff that ends up in your inbox? Like, well, right. no, but you don't understand what's really happening. I'm like, well, I don't know. From my perspective as being a female gamer, I, I might have a slightly different view than you do. Maybe it would be good to listen to that. It's interesting, and and you do you have a lot of if you have a lot of people in charge who've never thought about the the issues that are facing people of color that are gamers or people in the LGBTQ community that are gamers or people who are overweight and game like there's there's a whole load of problems that people deal with um, as gaming and if that's not something you're used to dealing with it's really easy to just gloss over and pretend it doesn't exist yeah i think that's why people so quickly want to put this in a box and add set curriculum or whatever it is that they want to put real quick because they're afraid to address james i keep seeing you rolling your eyes i mean i know people can't i know people can't, yeah, can't see but james is like he's in the bottom right corner he's like rolling his eyes <laughs> but but um 
they they don't want to address that that elephant in the room so let's hurry up and put it here because that way we don't have to really worry about addressing digital citizenship because i've told people like when you bring this to your to your campus or to your district this is where digital citizenship becomes real all that and you know i'll just be frank all the cute stuff that we do with digital citizenship you know (laughs) don't show this don't show that i mean it's very important but this is just me this is bradford speaking in his opinion once esports get in, gets into play, that's what's real. You got to talk to people about, okay, how do you conduct yourself when you're online? We say it in theory, we but we don't put it into practice. And esports puts that into practice. You actually are seeing, okay, if somebody is cussing you out or saying something derogatory, how are you going to handle that? Or how do you handle it if you do that? If um, what are, what information are you literally putting out there online? All of that stuff becomes real, and I think that makes people nervous to say, "Okay, wow, this is where you're asking me to turn on a Twitch. You're asking me to turn on a mixer. You're asking me asking kids who are under 13 or 13 interact with strangers to interact, like, with, to interact with strangers." That's really big. I'm not sure if I want to do that. So let's let's quickly put this in this box real quick, so we don't have to really worry about that. And we'll play. I don't know. We'll uh, not sure about Fortnite because that's too dangerous and people were cussing all that. So let's 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 play this X Y Z game. Game that's safe and we'll only let them play it for one hour uh, or thirty minutes, and then we'll we'll push math into it somehow. But let esports be all the way down at the bottom. And so. You, we have to be prepared to have these conversations. They know this is the route that we need to go. You want to talk about digital citizenship. You want to talk about diversity. You want to talk about how to conduct yourself as a, a scholar gamer. This is what this is. Let us talk about it. You want to talk about how to, what happens when a child deals with this. Let's talk about it. This is how you get started. But if you start, if you shy away from it, you make the problem a lot bigger. The the one lesson that I took away from what kind of what you were talking about when you talk about digital citizenship, I oversee libraries too in in, in Racine Unified, and one of the parts of my job is we have to ensure that the kids are getting their digital citizenship talks every year. The librarians do that. That conversation falls completely on deaf ears every time. Probably one of the one of the night one of the best lessons I learned, or ways I guess you could look at it, was Mark uh, uh, Garvey. Uh, a lot of know, a lot of people know him as Garvey at Twitch. Uh, his name's Mark Candela, and he's all about not about digital citizenship in the frame of hey, let's talk about digital citizenship. He says what he would love to see kids using Twitch to do is build their brand. Yes. And if we t- and if we imagine if we had a group of high schoolers. Who rather than we saying, hey, let's talk about digital citizenship, just say, what do you want your brand to be? Because then when you start talking about branding, branding is social media. It's what kids, you know, they, they respond to branding, Instagram, you know, Twitch, whatever. And when you start to wrap it in a package of, hey, let's talk about what your brand is. I even had this conversation with a kid last week, one of my virtual learning students, and I and we're starting her off in her virtual learning courses. And I said, what do you want this year? What do you want your brand to be? Has nothing to do with gaming, had nothing to do with anything else. Mm-hmm. But it's even the how are you going to present yourself on a daily basis? How are you going to how are you going to 
treat your life on a daily basis. When you start kind of put, I, you know, for some people, they may get a kind of like, oh, I don't want to have my kids thinking about branding. But, you know, my grandmother used to say, you only get one chance to make a first impression. Yeah, that's right. And so that's you want just branding in a, in a, wrapped in a 1940s package, you know, right. so. How do you want well, people to see, see yeah. you on well, a, literally a, a pretty much a 24 hour basis? And the, that the adults and even kids, they have to wrap their head around that. Like, so if I'm look if I'm looking up, if I'm looking up James O'Hagan, uh, what, what am I going to see? What am I going to learn? Cause I can access him. 24 a lot of eye rolling and a lot of raised eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's great because I think it's a good way, you know, we can sit there and tell kids all we want during, you know, the prescribed digital citizenship classes that what you do on the internet is eternal, but it's different yeah. when you're looking at it from a branding perspective. What you do, it, it comes back and it affects you. And, and even if you might like try and rebrand, you know, I think a lot of kids by the time they hit us in, in middle school and high school, they understand how rebranding is really hard. So when you sit there and go, okay, well, if you conduct yourself this way and this is the image that you create, if you're gonna turn around and try and rebrand yourself, how long is it gonna take you to sort of bounce back? And and so for some of them, it makes it more imperative that they start off right. It's also a good opportunity for them to watch other people, other gamers that are out in the industry and sort of see how those people conduct themselves and how that affects, you know, viewership or is there a disalignment between social media and, you know, their personal persona or their interview persona and, and their gaming persona. And that's something that they get because they live in this world of, of streamers and pro gamers. So being able to utilize that, I think you can teach digital citizenship in a much more effective way than just sitting down and, and talking and being right. like, well, this is what you need to do and this is why. Like, but when they're actually living it and they're seeing it and they, they realize how it impacts them and their future, it's a lot more meaningful. It is. And this gives a like student they give this gives students an opportunity to really be those leaders. And I've and I've thought about this a lot. If you really want to see what digital digital citizenship looks like in action, you have the the kids who are in esports who are playing this and living this and representing, and that's that's a lot, that's some big shoes to fill, but uh, yeah. that are representing this for your district, for your school. These are the groups that are actually living it and breathing it. So while you may be in class practicing, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. These kids are actually living it every day and having to conduct themselves every day so they, these would be your perfect models of what does it mean to conduct yourself online you got so much going on you're shout casting you're putting your name you're branding yourself and i love i love what y'all said what does it mean to brand yourself instead of saying uh digital citizenship how are you branding yourself whether you are a social media person or not you got to go out and get a job what do you do uh, what what are people seeing when you're on social media on social media how how do they perceive you so that's very good Carrie, I think you've said, I think you've said once, uh, we talked about something when we did our interview, we talked about in real life, or I've seen you say, post things about oh, yeah, IRL, yes. and you're yeah, like, you know, your online life, yeah. it used to be separate, and now it's very much, your in real life is what you see online as much as how you present yourself in a face-to-face. -face. Yeah, it really is, and for my kids, I really stress the difference between it's like your 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 physical life and your digital life. There's no IRL. They're both they're both one and the same. What you do online is you. You're making those decisions. Those decisions have impact uh, on you. So there's no there isn't a disconnect. And unfortunately, that's not the message they often get from adults. You know, I think a lot of adults have this all. Oh well, you know, 
oh, IRL, oh, that's just digital. It's like, well, yeah, but that's those are real people that you're you're touching and you're affecting. Um, so we, we need to change the language there because uh, I think a lot of kids get it. Um, it's a lot of the adults that I think are still disconnected from from that, um, unfortunately. One of the big questions is if I am trying to get this started in my district or in my campus, how do I know what game is important? Yeah, you know, that's a hard one because that's going to be a bit of a, a multi-step process. I think Jay can probably speak to a certain aspect of it. You've, you've got to find the games that your your student base are interested in, for one, and every population is going to be different as to what they're drawn to. And then you have to deal with what a district is going to allow you to play. You know, all the kids really love Fortnite, but hey, Fortnite has guns, so there are a lot of districts aren't going to let you play it. So you're, you're going to be limited from what admin's willing to support, but you're also limited by what your kids are interested in. So it's a complex thing that's where like a cookie cutter this is what we play isn't always going to work you're you're going to have to adapt to the group that you have the administration that you deal with even your site administration may have a particular bias against a certain game and not let you touch it this is jay over in um cleveland we've actually said no first person shaders in our school some of the kids like them but you know what they like other games too so why play those if there are other alternatives out there when we were selecting games we've rapidly found out that if we only selected one game we're only going to get one kind of student through the door so what we need to do is select a bunch of different games because just like people like different books people like different movies people like different games so we picked one or two national titles uh, that were popular everywhere we picked one or two titles that were less popular we pulled the students who were in the room, we pulled the students who were out of the room, we pulled experts who were out of the state, and we kind of picked games based on that. And I don't think that the answers that we gave to that question are going to be similar. Uh, they'll be similar for some communities, but not for all. But one thing I, I did want to mention too was just that don't undersell the importance of selecting the media because people read into that. You select a game and 90% of its players are male. Well, guess what? The girls you're seeing your flyers for that are going to say, I guess this program is informing. Right. right. So um, it's an important decision, a critical decision, and it's not one that you should make alone. I also select games that my kids, I know they wouldn't normally play, you know, just for the ability to to get them to assess a game and to get outside of their comfort zone. And I've had kids come back and be like, oh yeah, I turned around and I bought that game. It, it was really cool. Uh, they wouldn't have experienced it had I not been like, hey, guess what we're going to play today. Sometimes you got to go about it, you know, even a different intention, not like this is a game we're all going to play, but maybe we're going to play it for a couple days and just to get everyone outside of their norm. When I was the tech director of a small school district in southwest of Rockford, so we're talking a farm community called Forreston, Illinois, about a thousand kids in the whole school district, K-12. When I went out there, I said, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to let the kids have access to YouTube. We're going to let them have access to Facebook. And we're also going to let kids install their own apps. Mm. And I had this nice little server that I set up so I could see what apps were installed on everybody's iPads. And within a week, I went and ran the report because we had certain apps that we wanted kids to install that they needed for the classroom. But I noticed that as I was walking into the school buildings, I would see clusters of kids in fours and fives sitting around the school, outside the school, in the hallways, just fours and fives. And they were just playing this thing. I couldn't figure out what it was. And when I went in to go look at what app it was that they had installed in on 98% of the iPads in the entire district, that one app was Minecraft. The big deal was if we had locked those devices down, 
those kids would not have had that social interaction. Those kids would have not had that opportunity to explore and advocate because guess what these kids did? We, I, I really pushed hard the ideas of universal design for learning. You can have an assignment, you can have the goals, but at the same time, give kids multiple means to express their knowledge. Okay. Unless you really want them to write a five paragraph essay or write a paper or something like that. I had a kid who in a history class said to the teacher, I would like to build the Roman Colosseum in mm -hmm. Minecraft. Mm -hmm. Now think about that. To build the Roman Colosseum, you have to do research. You have to look at photos. You have to dig into the history of it. And what was great was when he got done with it, he presented the Roman Colosseum to the class. And one of the kids raised his hand and said, where's all the tunnels? Where's all the, the lower part of it? He'd only built the surface. Right? Yeah. So, so what this one project then became was a group of kids going in with this other student and building out the bottom, building out the, the tunnels and the caverns underneath the Roman Colosseum. It was such a cool thing that, again, if we had locked down the devices, if we have removed the choice from kids' hands, this would have never, and again, 90, 98% of the kids, that meant girls and boys had this installed. This was, yeah. this was, a, this was something that was connecting kids all ages from from elementary all the way through high school it was it was something i'd never seen before or, or since i had ran across a facebook post from a parent a couple months ago and it sparked a whole tangent for me about how we've killed play and you know as children we used to be able to go outside without adults and parents and we used to be able to take risks and, and play roles and and do stuff without people telling us no that's not how you do it oh my gosh you're looking silly like oh that's not, not safe like we had this childhood where play was very exploratory and, and so it was fun because you were you had ownership of it and you were learning a lot of stuff from it you know sure. while you were having a good time and I, I think you look now like kids aren't really allowed to go outside everything's really supervised I've, I've watched parents you know tell children well that's not safe well that's not how you play this game like well you're a kid play it however you want to mm -hmm. and i think for a lot of kids video games are now that especially video games like minecraft you know they're a place where you can go and and be somewhat unsupervised and and take risks and be creative mm -hmm. and imaginary and do it in a social way and i think that's that's something that's really key to gaming that we have to make sure that as we adapt it that we don't lose that like there's there's power in play and real honest to goodness exploratory play and and like you said if you lock things down and you you know sanitize it kids don't get that and then your learning opportunities that self-guided learning opportunity is gone and you you've missed this golden kernel of um, inspiration that you know kids can often find on their own if you trust them enough to be able to to do that you're exactly right and you're seeing more games of choice where the video game industry are creating games where you you're making your own choices and what you do affects the outcome of the game rob i'm glad you said that character's prime example is i bought a man a man of medan with the choices that you make affect the outcome of what you do and I always marvel at when I when I look at my children and they play games because I'll be quite honest, when it comes to the regular co content and curricula, I can't get anything out of them. Well, why, what about this? What about this? And they're just like, I don't know. But I was watching my daughter play. We were playing it together. This is one of our, you know, father father daughter times. And I said, okay, we're going to play this game. We both love horror games. But as she's playing, she she's looking at... I'm, 
I'm I have my teacher hat on and I'm looking at all of the vocabulary around the person that she's affecting and it's these words are popping up a deceitful this 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 and it's because of the choices that that she made with the character and I'm going going well how do you know that well she goes well if I want I want this character to to do this in this game she's never played it she's never seen it before a day in her life until last night but she's saying okay if I want this character to interact with this character this way I need for him I need for her to act like this I need for her to be snarky. I need for her to be this. I need, and I'm just looking at her, and I'm just amazed at like, I can't get this out of you with when you're reading a book or right. whatever, and that's fine. But she's looking at this like, okay, now remember how she acted here. I want this character to be really, really witchy, but not the witch word, the other word. She's and she said it, and I, she's 17, so she can. I'll, I'll let her get away with some things, but not a lot. I just I was just marveled at how she was maneuvering through the game, and I'm I'm a 40 year old guy, and I can't even go. I mean, I can go through it, but I her thought process was so different because she wants the outcome to be a certain way. And when you play the game, there's so much history behind the game. So I'm I'm looking at the history of it. I'm looking at the vocabulary and how she's acting. You can't sometimes you just can't get that out of regular pen and paper and books, and so. There's something to be said for when we're asking kids to play a certain game, we want to give them that voice. I'm looking at things on Twitter right now where people are meeting up, and I don't know what they're meeting up about, but I'm sure you guys have seen it where we've got our esports club and they're having pictures of the kids. I don't see them talking about like what you're saying, Carrie. What is the choice? What games are we wanting to play? What games are you interested in? Good parents, what what games do you think would be okay for your children to play in our district, in our campus? So bringing everybody in a full circle and asking them questions, they, they feel that like they have a stake in the game instead of a teacher just saying, we're going to play Fortnite and that's all we're going to play and I'm not going to give you a reason why we're going to play but we're just playing it. I just wanted to kind of reinforce the whole uh, Minecraft thing. Uh, just today, I'm designing the layout of for our facility and it was really interesting because I have to measure out the length of the cables and I got to figure out Ethernet, USB, HDMI and then I got to figure out the distance of the signal strength, repeaters and things like that and I just sat there I was like this reminds me a lot of Minecraft. Yeah. You know running redstone and the repeaters yeah. and having it set up and I mean yeah I have a degree in IT and I you know I'm a nerd about it but I'm sitting here thinking like okay if I was doing doing this in Minecraft I would you know set this up so far and I do this and I'm actually comparing that to my job and again just like everybody's saying there's more skills that could be used in the classroom we've got a couple of weeks until we can get into uh, not your parents basement to do our uh, practices and tournaments this year. So we've got kids in in the weight room. Now, I'm not saying the kids are going to be benching 300 pounds. We're not looking to do anything like that, but cuz for some of these kids the reason why they play games is because they want nothing to do with in their minds, uh, exercise, weightlifting, things like that. So I've I've cautioned coaches as they've started to build up their programs is to to ease into the idea of exercise. It can start with a walk. It can start with, you know, with yoga and some basic stretches. The other thing we've allowed kids to do this year, and we got great funding from our extended learning program that we have in Racine Unified. We're letting the kids design their team jerseys. So they're figuring out their team jerseys mm -hmm. and the school district's paying, paying for all the jerseys. It's great having them design. So like ours, my group designed our uh, G4E logo, and it was really cool watching them go through that whole process. It can be, it's, it's 
really cool. I thought it was really neat what um, Jay did with their league because they had three different games that they allowed kids yeah. to play. And it kind of had buy-in where kids figured, hey, I wanted to be involved in this, so I'll play these other games, which was great. My situation, find that the affinity space that like a game club provides is pretty incredible in terms of you're creating this space for like-minded kids. And when they get to bring in the games that they want to play, that's one thing. But another is, like I think Carrie said, to introduce games to the kids and just let them take it for a spin and see if it takes. So in my game club, I'll often run like a mini tournament with a game that might be a very unknown title, maybe a title kids don't know so well. And we give it a shot and we usually have at least a fun tournament. I'll stream a lot of it. You know, the kids get a kick out of it and then they either continue playing it or they don't. But at least we're creating opportunities that they might because left to their own devices sometimes they are going to just go to their one go-to game and you know after we expose them to something else go right ahead you know play what you want to play because I do think it's important for them to have that say but I also think we have you know there are so many great games out there I love for them to see and one final Mm -hmm. note on that was Rocket League was such a huge success for us this year mainly because Chris Aviles in his school that was the only game they could get approved. But then when he said, hey, we need teams to play. Do you? Can you field a team to play us? And then I brought it up to my kids, like there's another school that wants to play us, and this is middle school. That got them all excited too. So there are a lot of ways to through that whole game selection process. I sometimes even throw games at them that I know they're going to hate. And I do it for a very specific reason. It's, you know, I think we all as gamers experience the people, especially uh, on the Twitter sphere that are like, this game sucks. This game's horrible. This game's broken. Um, and when I first started, I'd, I'd throw them games and, and that's what I would get. And it's like, okay, things you can't say broken, bad, like sucks. Like it's right. stupid. Like, tell me what, what is it yeah. that isn't meeting your needs? And so now I can hand them a game that I know they're not going to like, and they can tell me exactly why they don't like it. And then they can turn around and tell one other student that they think might actually like it, and they'll know hmm. why that person will like it. That's funny, um, Carrie, because we don't do that with adults. <laughs> we we present we present something, and I, it's funny because I'm coming from we all come from that world, but I'm kind of like looking at James right now because of his background. We our backgrounds are pretty much sim- similar. Um, we throw a tool out there, and they just don't like it but they don't explain why they don't like it they don't explain their alternatives but we ask kids to do the same thing and the kids will spout off we don't like it because of this 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 and we're looking for this but our own cohorts are adults we just said we just don't want to use it because we just don't like it but you don't ever explain what a good alternative would be or even though we're here to guide and help you. Um, James, I'm sure you've been through this a lot because I go through it pretty much all the time. I have a famous story that you would probably look at it today and you go, I can't believe they said that. Around 2008, I was a tech director at Palos Heights uh, District 128 in Palos Heights, Illinois, outside Chicago. And I was really excited to show off this tool because I thought this was going to be an amazing tool for collaboration and creativity and it was going to give a lot of kids access that maybe couldn't have it before from home and i showed it to the teachers and they just could not hate it anymore (laughs) and that app was google docs (laughs) i knew you were gonna say that i knew you were gonna say it they hate they're like wait a second 
you mean they don't have to print out the document? They can, won't that generate more emails for me? Won't I be getting all these email <laughs> notifications? Wait a minute. You mean, you mean they can't do these trade pair shares in class anymore? We're going to have to do it all on our computers. Why would we do that? Well, number one, we have a one-to-one. -one. This is exactly what a one-to-one -one allows us to do, but it was so, they were disgusted by the tool. And now, <laughs> If you go to a school district that doesn't use Google Docs, teachers are teachers almost have a fit about it. But it's funny, but but they don't give any reason. They don't give any alternatives where it, our students they'll quickly, but they'll be blunt. They'll say, "Well, you say, here, this sucks. I don't like this. I I can't deal with this. I'd rather do this over here." And they explain why they'd rather do this over here. But sometimes our educators, our adults, we don't do that. It's so no, yeah, and that's why. I have been explicitly teaching it is you run into it a lot with gamers. Um, I mean, you run into it a lot anywhere, but being able to look deeper and understand what are your motivations as an individual. And, you know, when you don't like something, it's generally because that thing isn't meeting your need or your motivation, you know, especially in gaming. So, you know, it's not that the game's bad. It just doesn't suit your play style. It doesn't, um, it doesn't fit your, it doesn't fit your needs. Yeah. And, and getting them to understand that and being able to articulate that. Kevin, so Kevin, you've been, well, you know, you've been mighty quiet, Kevin. In, in your position, where do you, where, how do you fit into all this? Because uh, I, I was, you're still connected to schools, but you're connected to schools in a different way. It's going to sound like a self-serving commercial, and I don't mean it to. I'm a rare breed. I'm a unicorn. So I'm a classroom teacher who has gamed all the way back to paper, close to Christine, going back to Gary Gygax, 1978, when D&D came out of the box. As a curriculum writer, most recently before taking this job as esports specialist, my job was to write curriculum and see if esports could actually flow through it as a way to teach, as a way to hook kids in, get them to stay into class, drop truancy rates, bring up interest, and then hang around for the smarts. That lesson worked, but I was still a decrier of it. But then when I saw that oh-so-famous ecosystem that we purvey, that's when the scales fell off my eyes and I realized I got what esports was meant to be. It's not just this. There's so much more that goes on with that. And coming from a career tech education background, I firmly believe that this is where esports should live. It doesn't live in traditional academia. You can't just put it in math or physics because of Rocket League. You can back into stuff, certainly. Mm -hmm. But I look at it more and I think it more logically fits in the world of work. As we've all said this evening at some yeah. point, this flows out into all kinds of things. We posit 15 kinds of work in four big domains. Yeah. But even then, we're having to erase some things. We said fandom art. Does that include digital art? Yes. What about cosplay? Yes. Keep it nice. Honestly, <laughs> proper, right? PG-13, no HR involved. But right, so do these kinds of things. So it's gonna live there. My job day to day, as you all know, it's I purvey this. I get out in front, I'm sort of sales and service. I get in front of teachers, administrators, educators, talk about why this works. And then I, I take a lot of hits about why this is a problem. You're teaching addiction. You are really not what you say you are. This can't possibly be free. How could you give everything away for free? The philanthropic trust that underwrites all everything that's NASAF says that kids have a right to an education. And if we can build it, why wouldn't we share it? The moment you monetize a kid, that is the height of destroying equity. That's the height of destroying access, the moment you put a price tag on it. So it's gotta be free. So it's 
right-sizing and making sure people understand the philosophy behind all of this, and then doing what I've done with many of you is going back, okay, what do you need? So you want an English program, but you've got special ed kids, or you've got kids that are incarcerated, or you've got kids that are way remote that make James look like he lives next door. So how do we service those kids? Well, since you teach them online, can we play online? How are we gonna handle a remote team, all five or six of you? So doing that day to day, and then increasingly I got a knock on the virtual door Friday night trying to go home, it was Japan. One of five different countries that have woken up and said, wow, esports, yeah, we make these games, you play our games. We don't educate like you all do, so we'd like to get on board. So it's a great thing to have. So in 18 months, we've gone from 25 clubs in Orange County, California, to 40 states and Canada across North America. And I don't know, by Christmas, 500 clubs, 4,500, 5,000 kids, and who knows, a couple of countries. I don't know. And it's, again, we're changing a culture. The models out there, they play in Japan, they play in China, they play in Sweden. One of the oldest League of Legends crews is really cool. The average age, 62, they rock. I mean, who better to kind of set the tone? We all have hope, right? We can all play still. But we're changing cultures, and now we're just looking for allies and figure out how this is going to work. So to wrap up, because we we, we, we went in, which is what I expected that we were going to do. Uh, <laughs> so my, my, I know my listeners are going, oh, my God, that is, 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 it's information overload. So mm. if if... You were to advise one person, a teacher, administrative principal that wants to get started in esports. E what's the one advice that you would give them? I, you need to find a support group. Therapy. We're yeah, we're a lot. Well, it just it's for so many re so mm -hmm. many reasons. Yeah, I mean we're out there on Twitter, the the esports edu group. There's the Discord. Um, so many of us are on that. You've got you can throw a question out there and you can get an answer from people that that do everything really differently. You've got groups like NASEF that are in there. So if you've got a question, pretty much somebody has an answer, and you can usually get multiple points of view. And the thing that I love the most about the community is even though sometimes we disagree about what we're doing or how we're doing. Generally speaking, the Discord is all very respectful and supportive. So if you're if you're new, if you've been in it for a long time, it's a great way to get support and help you meet the people that you need to meet to to get you down the path in esports in the way you want to be, and, and hopefully in a in a way that has a lot of integrity and depth to it. I'll say it's important to get into the space to not be afraid. I'll finish with just one really brief story. To really, I guess the last piece of advice I give is, is think beyond the game. And I'll, and I'll share that with the story real quick. I asked my son, my son was going back to school a couple weeks ago. And I said, are you excited? And he said, no, I don't really like going to school. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, what if your school had a Minecraft club? Would that make it more exciting for you? And he said, yeah, I would love going to school if we had a Minecraft club. I'd even love it more if I got to participate. And I asked them, I very carefully asked the follow-up question. I said, well, I would assume you would participate, but what do you mean if, if you're just have the club? Why, why would that make school more exciting? He said, I would just love to watch other kids play and learn from how they play. Yeah. And that to me was what we're really trying to get at here is we're thinking beyond the games. My son, who may not want to actually play the game, like he thinks it's great, 
but he's looking at things from, again, that ecosystem, that participation, that interaction, that play. That's the play experience. That he, that's where he feels like he can play in school. You're not in it alone. Whether you're an administrator, whether you are a teacher, somebody has crossed the ice before you. You're not going to die out there. Somebody has made an attempt. We're here. We're all survivors, and we want it to work. So if anything, it's join us. There is a way out there. I don't want to sound like the resistance or anything else like that, but I think a lot of this is just getting over oneself and thinking, I can't. I'm a history teacher. Why would this even work? Have you heard of Civilization VI? Have you seen what Sid Meier can do for history? Mm -hmm. I'm working on a program now trying to figure a way to teach through that, whether it's you know, by mistake or by what actually happened. But there are so many interesting ideas that come up when teachers feel that they can actually take a swing at this, regardless of the discipline, and just want to pitch in. So I would encourage that. Be a little daring. Going back to some of the points from earlier, just asking yourself who is not in the room right now and, and why. Don't assume that you know the answer to that why. Go out and investigate, ask people, try and figure it out. And I think above all else, try new things. What works one year is maybe not going to work the next year, and that's okay. Allow yourself to be vulnerable, and you don't have to be the expert. You don't have to necessarily love the Overwatches, the Fortnites, the mm. Minecrafts, but realize that your students do and realize that they want to bring that passion into school. So allow yourself to be vulnerable and learn from them and learn what this is about, because this is something that's very important to them. And they're, they're acknowledging and they are actually allowing them to say, hey, this is OK to come in schools. We want this. We want to participate in this. We are opening the door to you for you to come and learn from us. And it's OK that you are not the expert because we're all going to learn this together we talked for over an hour <laughs> uh, i didn't think we were gonna go all all in like that for the very first one y'all know i got some editing to do <laughs> but guys thank you so much for participating in this and i hope hopefully a lot of the listeners had a get a chance to really take take one concept or learn something from this podcast and Hopefully many more to come because I definitely would like to reach out to each and every one of you individually and we could just talk even more. Not that we don't talk enough already, but um, I'd love to just hone in on one or two or one or two topics from each and every one of you. And we have a, an additional resource for our educators. On behalf of the speakers and myself of this episode, I hope you enjoyed listening to TinkerPod. Please make sure that you follow me, Bradford Harris, at EdTentTinker on Twitter and subscribe to my podcast available on platforms such as Anchor, Google, Spotify, and Apple. I'll see you next time as I host another great topic on TinkerPod.